Welcome back to Out Loud, the Selective Mutism Podcast. I'm Chelsea. And I'm Anne, Chelsea's mom. So the last episode was Chelsea and Meg, and I thought that sounded great. We're so glad that uh, Meg and Chelsea were able to get together and finally talk about um, speech-language therapists. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was great um, just having an excuse to talk to Meg again. (laughs) (laughs) But I thought it was an interesting conversation that we had that it's good to hear from a speech language pathologist mm-hmm. so and what their role is in selective mutism and it's great to know that they have some of them have heard of selective mutism and they don't have like completely false right. information like she knew what it was and that it wasn't mm-hmm. um, some kind of defiant thing yeah but just, anyway yeah it's good to know where to you know word is getting around and more people are mm-hmm. becoming aware and exposed to selective mutism um, I wanted to read one of our latest reviews. So we got a five-star review. So they wrote, This has grown to be one of my favorite podcasts. Chelsea and Anne are so easy to listen to, and each episode is packed with really useful information. Aww. I've used many principles they discuss, and I've recommended this podcast and show notes resources to others in the behavior analysis and education field. This is a must-listen for anyone who listen, who works with children. That's super nice. Yes. Thank you so much. Yeah, we love, I do, I love hearing (laughs) feedback. (laughs) Yeah, it really helps me stay motivated. Yeah. So today we were talking about, again, start of school, September's coming, some of us are getting back to school, I guess, others are going to be home doing Zoom or Google Classroom or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Or homeschooling even. Mm Mm-hmm. So we thought, again, just good to talk about tactics Mm -hmm. and things to be aware of with selective mutism if you're a teacher or teacher's aide or um, maybe a parent who wants to i don't know educate educate your teacher yeah and share Um, this episode with your teachers so that they can learn more about selective mutism right and just um just things to think about Mm -hmm. i think in some ways it's like the same as going back to school after the summer but there's the added anxiety of the mm-hmm. pandemic and the having to wear masks and all these new rules i think it's kind of scary for everyone yeah i think kind of a mixed bag i mean you have the normal anxiety of starting a new school year who's going to be in your classroom is my best friend going to be in the classroom what teacher am i going to have mm-hmm. and then if you have selective mutism that's even especially i don't know important or yeah. you know Especially because they've been out of school for so long, because a lot of schools mm-hmm. closed early, so it's like you've had so much time like feeling mm-hmm. safe and not being challenged by mm-hmm. all the school social situations. Mm-hmm. So, so I think either way, whether you're going back or you're home and you're going to be on Zoom, it's stressful. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, from a... I just wanted to kind of point out, um, you know, it's different... Everyone is different, obviously, and selective mutism doesn't always present itself in the same way, you know, different ages between different sexes, um, you know, younger kids versus older kids. And I guess more for the older kids, I just want to make teachers aware that, you know, little kids are different, but I think once you're into middle school and maybe the older grades, um, as a teacher, I mean, you may be thinking the child that's sitting there quiet, Um, that they don't like being addressed in class, Uh, maybe they don't like answering questions, maybe they don't maintain eye contact, they probably don't raise their hand to answer any questions or volunteer any information. 
um, you know, maybe they do answer, but you can barely hear them or hear their responses. Uh, just that these kids, especially I think as a teenager, because you can interpret that differently, um, but maybe those are the kids that have selective mutism. Maybe they have anxiety. And so rather than kind of writing those kids off as being disinterested or not wanting to learn or not wanting to be here, just perhaps consider that maybe they have anxiety and maybe they have selective mutism and just to have a little compassion. Yeah. And if you're a teacher who was just like sent this episode, um, I just wanted to tell you what selective mutism is. So mm -hmm. it's um, a complex anxiety disorder that is characterized by the child not being able to speak or communicate um, in certain social settings or to certain people. Mm -hmm. uh, they're able to communicate and speak outside of those settings where they're comfortable and feel safe. But in those situations, they feel unable to speak, and that's not a choice. It's just part of the anxiety. Mm -hmm. Oh, as a teacher, you may have heard, well, this, you know, Susie or Johnny speaks in, in English class, so mm -hmm. why won't they participate in math class? Right. So, oh, it's a choice. And it's selective in the word does not mean they are choosing not to speak. Exactly. Selective means in select situations or in select Right. Yeah. And I just want to point out that's exactly right. They might speak in another class, but that doesn't mean that they feel comfortable enough to speak in your class. And not to take that personally, mm -hmm. but there's just... There's so many variables exactly. that go into them feeling comfortable. Right. And just to recognize that that's what selective mutism mm -hmm. is. Just because you know they speak in gym class doesn't mean they're going to be able to speak in your class. Yeah. And I actually, just as a side note, I recently got together with a friend who happens to be a teacher. Actually, she's just retired. Um, but she taught, I think, typically grade six, but this year was teaching, or last year, taught grade three. And we were having a discussion about selective mutism, which I was actually shocked and pleasantly surprised to know she had heard of it and had actually taught kids with selective mutism. Um, but she made a statement that, well, you know, she was giving me an example that she had one student who was very willing and wanted to learn and wanted to participate, who but couldn't. And then she had another one who just didn't care. Mm -hmm. And that really <laughs> struck me. So I did correct her. And we had a little bit of a conversation about that. But um, just that, you know, yeah. even somebody that I know and somebody that I like and, um, you know, respect can still have, I guess, misconceptions about yeah. selective mutism. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, if you're a teacher and trying to get your class to do things and there's someone just sitting there, like, mm -hmm. pretty much ignoring you, but not intentionally, it does look like it's on purpose. Right. So it just it's interpreted yeah. many ways. Yeah. But we want to let as many teachers know. Right. So we're trying it. to change the perception. <laughs> we're yeah. trying to educate here. Um Exactly. So sort of even the playing field. Right. I just thought kind of start off with some tips like you yeah. just went over what selective mutism is. But, um, you know, first and foremost, I guess that most kids that I know of that have selective mutism are typically going to need a warm up period. Right. And with going back to school, that might look like setting up a one on one mm -hmm. meeting with the teacher before school starts. So you might. I know during this time it's harder to do that, but if you can do it virtually even, that yep. would be very helpful. 
Yep. And even like one-on-one, if a a teacher's willing, I mean, put your mask on, wash your hands, you can stay six feet apart, Mm -hmm. but you could still get together and um, just to meet face-to-face outdoors, (laughs) right? Have a little conversation about what to expect this year or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, Play a game. Just, you know, find out what they like, their, 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 you know, their likes and dislikes. Mm -hmm. Do they have a pet? Just favorite activities that they have? Just Mm -hmm. something to relate to. So even not in a typical classroom, but on Zoom, you can still kind of allow that warm-up period. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm saying Zoom, but any virtual classroom, basically. Um, You know, don't jump right into the class, but maybe start with a little bit of chit-chat, you know, Mm -hmm. um, what's everyone doing? Maybe tell a funny story that you've, something that you've done recently or over the summer. Yeah. Just kind of, you know, start slow, easy. And if someone, I don't know. This is something I would have appreciated um, as a kid because I would always kind of like try to tell the future, like what is this class going to be like? Like, I would like to know exactly what was coming. So I think if a right. teacher sat down with me before school even started and kind of gave me like an outline of how they normally run class, that would have really helped. Mm-hmm. Um, or like just answered questions about how the classroom operates and what the rules are going to be because right now we're going back where people have to wear masks and the desks have to be a certain distance and Mm -hmm. there's like hand washing rules and all that so I think Mm -hmm. for these kids especially they need to know what the expectations are ahead of time or they're just going to have a ton of anxiety and they're going to be imagining what's happening right just takes away that little bit of um, Mm -hmm. the unknown Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I thought, you know, maybe even younger classes or whatever, you could even start the class. And I know this is kind of like out there, crunchy, whatever, but you could you could start the class with like a relaxation exercise um, for everybody, Mm -hmm. you know, not singling out that one SM student, but for everybody. Um, You could do, you know, breathing techniques. You could start off with some quiet music, Um, you know, just something to kind of ease you in yeah right it helps with the transition i think too i know a lot especially virtual um kids with selective mutism are having trouble even um going on camera so i think right. that would be helpful to transition them in mm-hmm. too i like that yeah and i thought you know don't start right off the bat by calling on the selective mm-hmm. mutism child obviously um you know they need time to warm up mm-hmm you got to take the pressure off and not expect them to speak right away. It's going to take time for them to feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I thought too, you know, I mean, in a typical classroom, you can always arrange these types of things, but also online, you know, for nonverbal responses. It, of course, Chelsea always says, you know, meet them where they're at, and depending on where the child's at, but if they're not verbal, you know, you could set up... Um, ways of them saying mm-hmm. yes and no or I understand by you know maybe a yeah. thumbs up or a thumbs down there's also these really great like templates on teachers paid teachers and like Pinterest you could make your own too where it's like a get to know me page where you hmm. can fill in like what my favorite movie is like what my favorite food is just so you can non-verbally tell the teacher about yourself and the teacher can do one too so the kid gets to know that's them. a great idea yeah. yeah and there's all different ones mm-hmm yeah, so I was just thinking, like, you know, hand signals. Mm-hmm. Um, you might want to establish those ahead of time, like ba- asking to go to the bathroom is a big one, like right. certain things that are necessary mm-hmm. to be able to communicate. 
But the, I was just trying to like, there's a lot of ways to be nonverbal. Yeah, yeah, we all so, use nonverbal communication. Right. Either thumbs up, thumbs down. You could hold up one finger, two fingers, three fingers for different responses. Mm-hmm. You could actually write out an answer and hold up the paper with the answer written out. I feel like in the beginning, though, like when you're very first meeting a child with selective mutism, you don't want to be asking questions. True. You're just like kind of labeling like what they're doing or like talking like about just some activity that you're doing together like it I don't know you just don't want them to be stressed about feeling like they're gonna have to answer you right and we talked a lot about that in the um, episode where we with uh, Dr. Shippenblum yeah um, about the different steps and stages Mm -hmm. of communication so you could always go back and re-listen to that episode Um, but that was yeah that was some great tips in there because you don't want to yeah. jump right into being like non-verbal right. to verbal there's even steps in between yeah, you there you can just be like playing with something or like um i don't know if it's an older kid yeah it's tough because we're kind of talking older. about all ages kind of yeah. lumped together but if it was a younger kid and you're like coloring they're coloring you can color with them and be like i'm gonna draw this like oh what right. are you, you're using the orange marker like i wonder what you're gonna draw like no pressure to answer anything but like just making it comfortable mm-hmm. for both people you can communicate yeah. without answering questions without mm-hmm. asking questions right yeah yeah and i heard like i honestly have not done zoom i'll be honest yeah. I, <laughs> uh, I know you've done classes and things like that zooms. um but i guess there's a setting that you can do like you can there's many options mm-hmm. right you can like only the host can hear certain people you have that option of turning certain well, mics on and off mute anybody yeah yeah um and you can mute yourself and you can turn your video on or off mm-hmm. but i've been seeing some teachers are making rules like you have to have your video on or you yes yeah, so, so like certain things like that you need to be flexible with because it's going to take time for a kid with selective mutism to be comfortable on camera maybe like everyone's right. different someone might find that easier than being in person but right and i think if they are not comfortable with being on the video um we talk all the time about like i know you question 504s and things like this because it doesn't seem a lot of the plans have like a progression right and so it's okay to allow someone to have their camera off but what you need to do is progress Mm, or move on from there to work towards it yeah right so maybe they can start with their camera on for the first five minutes and after that they get to shut it off Mm mm-hmm and then lengthen the time or yeah just as an example or do smaller groups like there's tons of different ways you can change it for that person right and i know um i don't know is it really necessary for them to be on mm-hmm. camera like if if for someone like for me i know that would probably be overstimulating and i wouldn't be learning because i'd be so, so worried focused about on that being on camera right but also you don't as a child with selective mutism, you don't like to stand out. So if you're the only one with your camera off, that's mm-hmm. hard too. And I think it's kind of tough too now, right? With, I mean, people all over the country, um, just different socioeconomic um, groups. And some kids may not want their classmates seeing the inside of their house and what it looks mm, like. That's true. Um, or even, yeah, there's so much like... I know, yeah. Kids with selective mutism also, I can't generalize, but for myself um like sharing your opinions and Mm. personal things about yourself is scary like even wearing a shirt that says something on it right because you don't want someone to comment on it so if you're in like Mm -hmm. your bedroom or something it's like very vulnerable to have your Mm -hmm. whole class see like where you live and what stuff is behind you right 
and at some point you might yeah. it's a good it can be a good tool to show them but but sometimes you're not ready for that and you just want you don't want anyone to see yeah your things or the inside of your home yeah. or yeah you don't want them to comment on anything so i just really ask teachers to be flexible and try to see it from their mm-hmm. perspective because it's really hard yeah so just to be aware of that as yeah. a teacher i think and then we did talk about um I think Dr. Eliza Shippenbloom, Elisa, Elisa Shippenbloom, um, you know, if you go back to that episode, she it does give the progression of questions. So if you are going to, if you do have a selective mutism child in your class, there is a certain pattern or um, way that you want to progress in asking them questions once you get to that mm-hmm. stage. Um, so the beginning or first step would be choice questions. So don't just blatantly ask them like an open-ended question right, but maybe give choice. them a choice you know do you I don't know do you like what's the right answer yeah. a or b mm-hmm. with, with the hopes that they will say either a or b yeah um, but that's a lot easier than just starting off an answer from scratch and coming right. out with the whole sentence mm-hmm. and it progresses from there I think it's important for teachers to be communicating like what's going on to families too what do you mean, like behind the scenes to parents? Yeah. Or, mm-hmm. Whether it's like emailing or right, uh, some kind of communication, notebook, uh, or just like regular check-ins, like if you just met with the teacher. I did that for you back in, I think, kindergarten. I would I actually made up my own little check sheet. Mm-hmm. Like the else I had to do was check the boxes. Oh, nice. And I sent it in your lunchbox well, each response day. response effort, yeah. Yeah, I was hoping that maybe they would just check the boxes for me to tell me if you yeah. had done this today or whatever. Did they do it? Um, most of the time they did do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Some days they did not. Um, I get it that but teachers it was something. already have a lot to do, but it's very helpful to know. Because for parents, they don't even see like what is going mm-hmm. on like a lot of parents don't even know their kid has selective mutism until they end up in the classroom and the big thing is you really need continuity from home to school mm-hmm. if you want to have progression right. um, or improvement with your child so I mean if I was doing something at home working on something and then you went to school and you didn't have to do it all day um, you know we lost eight hours of the day or whatever a big chunk of the day mm-hmm. um, so it was important for me that we were doing the same thing uh, had the same goals, not different goals between two different places. Yeah. In order to make progress. And then I thought too, like, you know, reading out loud, that starts in an early age group. And I know I've talked about this on a couple of different episodes. But, um, you know, maybe if it, I know Zoom or whatever, all these virtual classrooms, they don't want kids showing up with their blanket over their head or whatever on the screen. Or, But I was thinking, you know, maybe that is a bit of a comforting thing for an SM child, like maybe allow them to have their pet on their lap or um, maybe using a stuffed animal like to a read. Toy. Yeah. Yeah. So if you have to read out loud, I was thinking not just the SM child, but maybe make it into an exercise. Like the whole class could bring their favorite little stuffed this, toy. This is for young kids. Yeah. Right. Young kids. <laughs> <laughs> and let the animal read out loud yeah. to the rest of the class, not the student. Another um, thing with that is, like, you have to know that the kid is ready to read something and yeah. that you're not giving them too much to read. Mm-hmm. And I also think for teens, like, this used to happen where everyone had to read some section. Like, they just right. go around the room. I don't know. I just feel like 
if they're not ready for that, like, just have volunteers volunteer to read. True. Yep. But sometimes an SM kid, even though they are ready, yeah. they won't put their hand up to volunteer. But, but you can kind of tell I, maybe they would do it. I don't know. I think there should be, that should be established ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, are you ready to read in class today? Right. Yes, okay, I'll call on you. So that's where I think the secret, um, you know, secret hand signals, whatever, yeah. could come in. If you have one established beforehand and then the teacher can kind of look at the child and give a signal, like, mm-hmm. whatever, you know, wiggle my ear, touch my ear or something, and you could do a thumbs up or a thumbs down to yeah. let her know if you are ready or not. Mm-hmm. And two, like, if if you... How you mentioned if uh, kids can fill out the forms before school about their interests or whatever. Um, the teacher can use that because a selective mutism child is much more engaged or, you know, likely to participate and maybe speak if it's something that they are truly passionate about or interested yeah. in. So a teacher can use that to her, her or his advantage. Mm-hmm. I think also just being accepting of accommodations is huge. Like, if a kid is like, oh, I can't present in front of everyone, but I can record it at home mm-hmm. and send it to you. Like, you need to be open to things like open. that. Just be flexible. <laughs> because they're not, I don't know, if you want to be able to, like, assess their knowledge and, like, their learning, you need to be open to, like, working around selective mutism because it doesn't just get better overnight. Right. It's a process. And that's what's so frustrating, I think, for parents is that you have a teacher, you kind of talk to them, you tell them what it's like. And I know a lot of times as a parent, you get blown off because the teacher thinks, oh, they'll warm up. You know, it's just maybe for the first month of school. I've had students like this before. But then it doesn't get better as the school year goes on. It gets worse sometimes. Right. And then (laughs) I've had teachers that have not been understanding when it didn't wear off or go away. That is such a setback. That's a whole year of just shutting down and trying to survive a class. Mm -hmm. It's just not fun. Mm -hmm. So I was just trying to think of some things like, again, for younger kids that are nonverbal. Um that you can do in a classroom or even on Zoom or whatever. And um, so one would be Simon Says. Mm-hmm. Even that can be tough. Yeah. Another thing, if you don't know much about selective mutism, is that it's not just speaking that's hard. It's everything. It's everything, <laughs> right? Yes. Being in front of people, having people look at you. Yeah. Commenting on your clothes. It's a lot like performance anxiety, like doing yeah. anything in front of anyone, basically. Right. It's hard. Making eye contact is very difficult. Yes. Yeah. And that's another point, too, is like if you're going to ask a question or whatever, if you ask somebody with selective mutism to do something or hold up a sign, it's good to look away, <laughs> like act non-interested uh, while you're waiting for the response because you would just want to be nonchalant and just, you know, it's not real important. But if, if you could hold up your answer, that would be great. It just kind of takes some of the pressure off the child. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I guess a big one, too, that... Um, is not to tell kids you're, that they're shy. Yes, like, please don't yeah. bring any attention to it. Because a lot of adults don't mean, you know, mm-hmm. they or mean well. A kid talks and then they're like, oh, you finally spoke to me. It's like, okay, good job. You just set them back like another month. <laughs> yeah, know. it's really tough. It is. And just to be, I guess, receptive, like we've been saying, to really any form of communication 
that lets them express their knowledge in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe not. Maybe you could have them show you. Like, instead of telling me, could you I show me? I like that when the teachers would hand out whiteboards and you would write mm. your, like, math problem on it and, like, hold up your answer. Because mm. it's good when the whole class is doing it and it's not you being sing- singled out. Right. Um, another thing is, like, if you're doing virtual learning, um, like, allowing kids to answer, answer in the chat if they're more comfortable with that is very helpful because you want them to be able to participate in some way Mm -hmm. and if that's the only way that they're not going to completely shut down I think it's worth Mm -hmm. it yeah and I think at any age high school especially maybe in high school but any age if you have a student with selective mutism if you could reach out to them behind the scenes outside of the class um, and I know today this can kind of get kind of weird I guess (laughs) just with different legal issues but reaching out to a child after class or um, you know maybe texting or email or a phone call um, or in a chat Um, yeah I don't know if they're allowed to do any of that but but it it that really is what changes (laughs) kind of changes the you know the whole relationship yeah and it shows support. Like, it kind of shows the student that I'm here for you. I'm in your corner. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm working with you. We'll get through this together. Mm-hmm. Like, don't stress over it. We're going to figure this out together. Yeah. Yeah. The worst thing is when you feel misunderstood and, like, a teacher just doesn't get you. And it's like right. you're stuck with them for a whole year. So I think yep. if you are willing to try to understand, like, you're probably going to make mistakes because... I think everyone does, even parents who know mm-hmm. a lot about selective mutism. Sometimes you, like, misinterpret or you, like, misjudge mm-hmm. what they're ready for. But I think if you're willing to learn, a child is going to respect that and, like, feel safer with you. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, if you do have that open communication with a child outside of the classroom, you, you know, that's when you can kind of come up with these little hand signals and communication system when when they do want to answer out loud in front of the class or they are willing to read a piece um and you can even practice before the class telling them which question you're going to ask them for and making sure they have the right answer um so that they're not embarrassed by you know having it wrong or like you've already practiced it beforehand and then you're just going to do it again in the class in front of everybody And I think, you know, humor goes a long way. I always say this, but I think just, you know, just be silly sometimes. Like, what the heck? Just kind of take up the stress off. And, like, even though you're on the computer, that, I don't know, if you smell, say you smell chocolate cookies or something and ask the class if they can smell them. (laughs) Chelsea's looking at me like I'm nuts. (laughs) Did you think of that joke when you've been practicing? No, but like just be silly, you know? Like, yeah. I don't know. Well, I think it's funny. I mean, some even a smile as you get somebody with selective mutism to smile is huge. Okay, Chelsea's not agreeing with me. <laughs> this might be on the edit floor. I'm trying to think about something. And like uh, too like sensory input cuz it can be a lot, yeah. I would think, if you have to sit there and look at like the whole class on the screen. Yes. For somebody that does have sensory issues? Yeah, you can um, kind of open a different window and put it over the screen. I mean, unless they're using like a PowerPoint or something, 
um, where you need to be looking at the screen. But you can change yeah. different um, views. So you can do like gallery views when you can see everyone in the meeting. And then you can just switch to speaker view so it only shows who's talking on the screen. And then I think if there's a PowerPoint up, it kind of takes up most of the screen anyway. Hmm. You don't see other people. But yeah. And if you're in a real classroom, like if it's in person and you're back to school, I was just thinking about masks. And um, mm. I think for this is for more than just kids with selective mutism, but being able to see your whole face, I think, is important. Like, some, you mean you think that's a good thing or a bad thing? A good thing. I think kids should be able to see your face and your read your facial expressions. So for some kids that have disabilities, like they really rely on oh, okay. facial expressions. And yep. I think it's good to have those masks that have like the, the window in them or the face shields. Um, mm -hmm. I know it's not, I don't know if the face shields are even proven to be effective, but Actually, that's kind of a hard thing for everybody. I know just at work, yeah. people are having a hard time communicating because you can't see people's yeah. faces or expressions. Or... And even, yeah, for the kid with selective mutism, some, I know some people are having trouble talking through a mask because it feels mm -hmm. like an extra barrier or something. So something that's more like the face shields are great. I don't know if they're allowing them in every school, but if you don't want something touching your face, that's like just attached to your head. It's not, they're saying it's not as effective yeah, as the mask. Okay. It's got to be both, not yeah. just one or the other. Okay. Yeah. Well, they have the ones with the windows and those are good. So I'll just say this, you can edit it out because I really don't know anything really about being online and all that. But they were saying there's like digital assessment tools. Um, I guess Class Dojo, everyone uses yeah. it and it's free. I don't know what that I is. Um, Answer Garden. I guess there's GimKit, Kahoot, Google Forms. Oh, I like Kahoot. Polls, um, Socrative. I don't know if I'm even saying that correctly. Um, Crowd like Signal, TEDx, Play Post It. Um, these are just websites that they mm -hmm. had for teachers to use if you have to teach online. Yeah. Um, I love the poll feature, and that's another great option for kids with selective mutism if you want the whole class to be participating. And Kahoot's the same thing, I think. Kahoot is like an app that you put on your phone and you can hmm. answer questions like I've seen middle school teachers use that for like hmm. science class and you can like put whatever name you want um as your username and it okay. like ranks who's getting the most right and stuff like that huh. but there's also a poll feature in zoom and like google hangouts and pr probably all the teaching ones hmm. where you can ask a question and people can answer non-verbally <laughs> And I did see some of them, some of the classes are setting up a class Twitter account. Oh, really? Um, just as a way, you know, communication, hmm. uh, Twitter chats, uh, class Instagram page, which again, mm -hmm. all the legal, legal kind of stuff you'd have to be kind of careful with. Um, even on Pinterest, a class page on Pinterest. Oh. Hmm. Um, but there might be legal restrictions, so I'm Facebook not sure how all that plays out. But yeah, and just... Um, you know, with selective mutism kids, this was always kind of my pet peeve, was Chelsea could never get that, she had excellent grades, <laughs> but could never get that uh, perfect grade because she didn't have that participation grade. Mm -hmm. That would always ruin your grade because you could not participate in the class. 
Um, so maybe if there's another way that teachers could get around that besides giving points for participation. Or participating in different ways. It, like right. stop being so um, strict about what you think participation is. Like if a kid can only type in a chat box as their participation, then I mm -hmm. think that should count. And they're working towards participating verbally, but that's exactly hard right now. Right. So, so they what shouldn't it, be marked yeah. down for that because they... Mm -hmm are learning right too. so there's nonverbal particip participation uh as well and just maybe recognize that mm -hmm. yeah the only other thing i could think of was um if it is online and stuff instead of using your real picture whatever that the kids could use bitmojis oh yeah yeah because that kind of takes you know that extra little yeah. having people and look at you it's like, I know some teachers are like, oh, I need to see faces, like, when I'm speaking, or it feels like I'm just talking to a wall. Like, I think some kids, you can set your, um, if you turn your camera off, you can set what is shown in your box. So, like, I could put a picture of myself in the box. Mm -hmm. You could also do the bitmoji if you're more comfortable with that. But, so that way, just for the right. teacher, it feels like you're still there, like, you're not just right ignoring them. You could do a school picture. Yeah. Or, yeah. A picture you like of yourself. Yeah. I still like the bitmoji idea. Yeah, though. I think that's cute. You can make <laughs> it look like you. Yeah, it's just fun. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so I don't know. Do you have anything else to add? Just trying to come up with ideas, get people thinking. Mm -hmm. You really need to be communicating with the, the parents and the child. Ask the child what you mm -hmm. can do to help them. You need to figure out what you can do to change the environment to make it easier for them yep. and be open to that and I'd say all, stop yeah. focusing on trying to get them to talk like you probably exactly. see that as the goal um, and I would say focus more on making it a safe space for them and being a safe person for them exactly yeah and I um I just want to say like you know my kids are all grown now obviously and um but this this really brings back all of those anxieties every school year, every September um, that we would have. I mean, trying to specifically get Chelsea with the right teacher in the right class, trying to get that understanding teacher, somebody that would work with us. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you as a teacher, you really absolutely can have such a profound impact on this child's life yeah and not just a kindergartner a teen um and they'll never forget you if you are someone who is helpful right who reached out who they felt tries. like you got them mm -hmm. who was trying to help them it's just um life-changing yeah so i guess thank you mm -hmm. to all the teachers that yeah you're all doing crazy stuff right now yeah it's awesome yeah it's not we, easy we applaud you <laughs> I just wanted to, um, I just want to get across how passionate we are about this, that it, yeah. you know, it, it's something that has affected our lives and continues to affect our lives really, um, today, even though you are, you know, selective mutism is behind us mm -hmm. and behind you. Um, it's just so much potential in these kids and, you know, I just want everyone out there to, to, um, you know, have it in your heart to help these kids succeed. They all want to succeed. 
No, go ahead and say. And our next episode will be the one year mark of this podcast. Woohoo! Yay, we made it. <laughs> <laughs> so when we yeah when we started, we didn't know if we were going to have even five listeners or ten listeners. Yeah, so thank you. But here we are, one year. So join us next time for that episode. Yes. Oh, rate us and leave us a review on your favorite podcast app. And maybe, you know, tell a friend. Yeah, and share this episode. <laughs> yeah, share the episode. If you know a teacher, you know, share it with classmates. A therapist. Um, a therapist, Someone an SLP. Who, yeah. <laughs> sure. Anybody. Okay, well, thank you for listening. Goodbye.